Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, well, welcome everybody to Liquid. I'm Pastor Kyler from New Brunswick, and it is good to be here this morning at the Mothership in Morristown to bring you the the final installment in this series examining the last words of Jesus on the cross. Now, speaking of last words, if you could choose your last dying words, but you only got three of them, only three words, what three words would you choose? Uh, if, if, If they were to your spouse, maybe... I love you. If they were to your children, maybe seize the day. If they were to your mother-in-law, maybe you go first. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. But, but I am here to tell you that the three greatest, most powerful, most significant words ever spoken in human history were these. It is finished. They were among the final words that Jesus ever spoke. So do you think they were important? Now here's what we read in the Gospel of John. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, this was a reference to Psalm 69, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, and so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, say this with me, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You see, that man on the cross, that was the baby born in the manger. Emmanuel, God with us, fully God, fully man. And so when Jesus says, I am thirsty, he's speaking out of his humanity, uh, his flesh and blood, what he's going through as a suffering human being, dying on a cross. He's bleeding out. He's dehydrated. He says, I'm thirsty. But when Jesus says, it is finished, He's speaking out of his divinity. He's referring to his purpose, his mission, why he came, what he set out to do, what the Father had put on his heart. So here's the big question. What is it? When Jesus says, it is finished, what does he mean by it? Now, the Roman Empire-governed world in which Jesus grew up was a melting pot of cultures and languages, and Jesus would have been familiar with at least three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Now, in Greek, the three words, it is finished, translate to one word, and this is the word that Jesus is recorded as having actually used, tetelestai. It is finished, tetelestai. See, Jesus, being a carpenter by trade, he probably used this well-known phrase when, for instance, he completed the framing of a house. He would step back and he would say, tetelestai, it's completed, tetelestai. Uh, or, or, or when a, a customer finally paid him for his, uh, his carpentry services, Jesus would say, tetelestai, done, paid in full. It was always a happy word. But what happened if a customer couldn't pay back their debt? Well, often during this time, when you incurred a debt that you couldn't pay back, you got thrown into debtor's prison. And what would happen is that the jailer would, would write down the list of all of your debts And you would have to stay in prison until you could pay it back. But come on, like, how are you going to pay it back? I mean, if you couldn't pay off your debts while you were free and able to work, how are you going to do it sitting in a prison cell? Well, the only way that you could get out of debt is if somebody showed up on your behalf and paid your debt. 
And after paying them off, they would take that list, and they would that list with all your doubts, uh, debts, <laughs> and they would they would write paid in full, paid in full, and you were free. Essentially, they were saying, "Here's your freedom." Not only that, but here is your safety. Keep this receipt. They're saying, they're saying no one can ever again accuse you of these same debts ever again. Do you know that exhilarating feeling that comes from just feeling a debt just sort of fall off your shoulders because it's, it's paid in full? Maybe you put that last down payment on a, on, a, on, a, on a 30-year mortgage and you had a big party to celebrate that the last payment was done or you paid off your car or, or a tuition and you got that receipt, that statement that says paid in full. Woohoo! It's very uplifting, right? To, to know that that debt is behind you, that it's been paid off, it's done, it's finished. So what did Jesus mean when he shouted out from the cross, it is finished? What was the it? The it was the mission to free us from a debt, a debt that you and I owed to God, a debt of sin. Now, in a prophecy about Jesus thousands of years earlier, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah wrote this. He said, we all have wandered away like sheep. Each of us goes his own way, but the Lord has put on him the punishment for all the evil we have done. He's saying, look, someday God's going to send someone to pay the debt for our sin. See, instead of the sheep that have gone astray, that's us paying for our own sin, God is going to lay that burden of those sins on someone else, someone undeserving of the cost of the debt, his, his son. And the fact is that in Jewish history, all the way up to Jesus, an undeserving recipient paying the price for the people's wickedness is basically how it worked. That undeserving recipient was a bull or a goat or a lamb. And we're talking animal sacrifice here, people. It wasn't pretty. Uh, if, if Peter had been around back then, they would have been all over this. They would have been pull, pulling up to the temple, you know, in their Prius chariots to protest. <laughs> but that's how things played out a thousand years ago. The Bible tells us that the sin entered into the world through Adam and Eve. Uh, the, the, the first sheep to go astray were Adam and Eve. And starting with them, God dealt with the sins of his people through a blood sacrifice. You see, God is just, right? And because he is just... He demands payment for sin. Sin has to be dealt with. Uh, God creates these laws for our benefit, and if, they, if, if, if they're broken and there's no penalty, then there's no justice, right? But he's also merciful. God has provided a way in which the blood that needs to be spilled isn't your own blood. It's the blood of a substitute. God set up this sacrificial system by which the blood of bulls and goats and lambs was spilled instead of the blood of his people, why? Because God wanted to show compassion to his people. It's called atonement, which means that the sin debt is paid in full. But here's the problem, folks. An animal sacrifice was only symbolic. It pointed to what needed to happen, but it couldn't actually do what needed to happen. It, it couldn't, in reality, stamp paid in full on our sin. Why? Because no four-legged creature, no matter how innocent, could pay the moral and spiritual debt of sinful human beings. I mean, as we read in Isaiah earlier, the animal sacrifices merely foreshadowed. They, they pointed to the day when the Lord would lay on his son, fully God and fully human, the sins of all humans, and, and finally pay the debt in full, in reality. 
Only a perfect human life could, could erase the debt of imperfect human beings, us. Only a perfect human sacrifice could, could, could pay the cost and allow justice to be served. Only a perfect, spotless lamb. Now, who's that spotless, perfect lamb? Well, John the Baptist points him out to us. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, John understood the it, what it was that Jesus came to do, to finish. Jesus came to take away the sins of the world, to pay our debt to God once and for all. No one else who'd ever walked the face of the earth had lived a perfect life in order to accomplish what needed to be done. Let me put it this way. Our sin is like being trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. It's one thing to pay off your car, but can you imagine being trillions of dollars in debt? You can if you're the U.S. government. But, but personally, you, you and I, we could never pay off a mind-bogglingly massive amount of money like that. We could never do it. Not even Warren Buffett or Mark Zuckerberg or, or Bill Gates. Not even the mega-rich could pay off trillions in debt. And folks, our sins carry that kind of crushing, hopeless weight that we could, we could never pay off on our own. Only Jesus can pay that sin debt. Why? Because only Jesus is sinless, completely righteous, which means completely right before God. And so here's what he does. He takes your sin upon himself and he transfers his sinlessness to your account. Paid in full. Your account with God is now in good standing. And you know what? Satan can never again accuse you of holding your debts. He can never say, you know what? You're not good enough. I'm looking at this ledger. I see all these transgressions you have in God. You're not good enough to be with a holy God. So you know what? You're mine. And then he takes you and he throws you into the debtor's prison that is hell. No way. Jesus took the sin debt that you and I were on the hook for and stamped on it, paid in full. People, the cross is your receipt, and no one can ever take that away. It is finished. So why is it that for many of us, it doesn't seem like it's finished? Why is it that, that we'll look at this receipt, and somehow it's not enough? Many of us respond to, the, to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross one of two different ways. The first way is this, that we continue to try and obtain our salvation through deeds. Now, when you paid off your car, your credit cards, whatever, your mortgage, you felt great, right? As you should. You defeated your debt. You, you, you earned that paid in full receipt. It was something that you accomplished. You, you worked to make that happen. And if you're anything like me, you like to earn your way. Uh, a few weeks ago... Um, I decided to go through a Chick-fil-A drive-thru for lunch. And so, I, you know, I get up and I, I order the, uh, the spicy chicken sandwich and the waffle fries and the Oreo shake. Don't judge. <laughs> and, and then, you know, I just start kind of inching my way behind the other cars up to the payment window. And as I'm doing that, I'm also doing one of these. Oh. I had left my wallet back at the office. I had no money with me. You know, and there's three cars in front of me and three cars behind me, so there ain't no way, no how I'm getting out of line. And so there I am, just kind of working my way forward in my little drive of shame. <laughs> you know, and I, and I finally get up to the window, and this perky little 20-something, you know, she comes to the window, she says, that'll be $8.34. And I said, look, um, 
I am today's winner of the Idiot Customer Award. Uh, I forgot my wallet. I've got no money. She says, uh, okay, hang on one sec. She confers with a coworker for a moment. And then she reaches out through the window with my bag of food and my shake and says, here you go. Have a great day. And I, I said, wait, are, are you serious? Paid in full? It's free? And she said, yep. And you know what? I found myself resisting the grace. I said, look, I'm, I'm a pastor at, at Liquid Church. Our offices are right down the road. I'll, I'll go back, get my wallet, come back. She says, no, no, no. And she just cheerily waved me off. Now, if you're thinking of doing that, uh, please don't do it all at once, okay? Poor Chick-fil-A. 400 people today showed up without their wallet. But listen. The next day, I was still resisting the grace. This was bothering me. I, I said to myself, I need to go back because I feel like I owe them a purchase. And so I did. I went back the next day. I paid for a meal, and I earned that meal. And I felt better about myself. Folks, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I, I don't always receive gifts well, whether they're from friends and family, whether they're from God, God's gifts, God's grace. Sometimes I catch myself trying to earn them. Why? I had to think about this for a while. And here's what I came up with. Deep down, I try to earn things because there's still a part of me, darn it, that believes that I'm valuable not because of who I am, but because of what I do. There's a part of me, deep down, that still believes that I'm only lovable because of what I do and not who I am. That it's, it's about my deeds. Bummer, right? Anyone here? In that club, I was shocked to actually realize I am in that club. So if you share that stubborn little subconscious mindset with me that it's about doing over being, and if we let it win, then you and I are all prime candidates to hook up with any world religion. You know why? Because religion tells you that it's up to you to get yourself into heaven. It's about what you do, not who you are. You've got to save yourself. You've got to work it, baby. Religions are works based approaches to God or to spiritual enlightenment. For example, Buddhists follow the Eightfold Path, which is, is basically a, a do-it-yourself guide to right living. Um, Hindus, they, they're governed by karma, a system of cause and effect uh, which, in which your deeds, good and bad, affect your future in this life or the next. Uh, Muslims ascribe to the five pillars of Islam, five acts, that are considered mandatory for pleasing God. These major faiths are all examples of works-based, deeds-based religion. And folks, you are kidding yourself if you don't think that, uh, that, that versions of deeds-based faith pop up in the Christian church of, as well. Of course they do. Of course they do. And many of you have been discouraged and burned out because you grew up in that kind of religious environment. You see, religion says, get to work. Jesus says, it is finished. Religion says, do, do, do. Jesus says, done, done, done. Religion says, you earn your way. Jesus says, I am the way. And, and, and I want to free you from the crushing lie that you can earn your way to heaven. I want to release you from the burdensome belief that you have to earn God's love. Near the end of the movie Saving Private Ryan, the captain in charge of a special unit tasked with the mission of, of, well, saving Private Ryan, is critically injured. And after all the effort and all the life sacrificed 
to ensure the safety of this, this one young soldier, the dying officer gives a final order. What, sir? Did you hear those last words on the captain's lips? Earn this. Earn it. The captain could not have asked anything more difficult, anything more impossible for this young man to do than to earn the sacrifice of his rescuer's lives. Honor the sacrifice? Yes. Live a life of gratitude. But earn it? What a terrible burden to place on someone with your last words. In the final scene, Ryan is an old man now, and it's many years later. He's visiting the captain's gravesite, and voice quivering as he stands next to the cross-shaped grave marker. He says, I, I tried to live my life the best I could. I hope it was enough. You see, he was haunted the rest of his days, wondering if his good deeds were enough. And that's also what life looks like inside a works-based religion. I can never be certain if my deeds are enough. Oh, for a while, I may be able to convince myself that my good deeds are enough. Uh, I can fool myself for most of my life. And I convince myself that, that, you know, I've I've done my best to live a good moral life. You know, I've said my prayers. I've read my Bible. I've joined roadies or guest connections. I've, I've been part of a life group. I feel pretty good about myself. And I can almost convince myself that I'm, I'm earning my way to heaven. Because, you know, certainly I'm, I'm, I'm doing better than that guy. He's not living a, a very clean life. And, and I'm doing a lot better than, than she is. I don't, I don't need that receipt. But you know what that is? That's pride. The problem with works-based, deeds-based, man-made religion is that it leads you to one of two places. Pride or despair. Pride says, I can earn this. I'm I'm keeping my rules, my deeds, they're going to speak for themselves. I'm I'm doing better than most. That just makes you an arrogant jerk. On the other hand, if if you're always feeling like you're falling short, that you're not measuring up, that you blew it again, oh man, I'm such a failure, I'll never get it right, God couldn't possibly love me, then that just leads to despair. It leads to doubting that God could possibly love you. It leads to doubting that he would ever want to write paid in full on your invoice when he really takes a good look at the mess that you are. So we continue to try to obtain our salvation through deeds, or we can continue to obstruct our salvation with doubts. Now, always feeling like you're, you're saved is, is very often a difficult thing for us Christ followers. We, we've all been there, right? We've all wondered if we're really saved or not. We've looked at our thoughts and our actions, and sometimes we've gone, well, how can I be saved if if I'm like this, you know? There's so many Christians who have doubted their salvation. They've worked themselves up into a worry, even to the point of depression over this whole issue. And if I ever ask a Christian, um, you know, who feels that way, why do you think you might not be saved? Almost always the reason is this. Well, because I have a a sin in my life, and I, I just can't beat this one sin 
My thoughts are always going to a sinful place. I just keep failing. And with every failure, we feel like our worth is being diminished in God's eyes. I had kind of an amusing thing happen to me once that got me thinking about my worth. It's a true story. A few years ago, I signed up as an extra on the set of the blockbuster movie, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. It's true. Now, it may not have been the smartest way to try to earn some extra cash because I got paid for a day to let Harrison Ford almost run me over on a motorcycle about 20 times. We spent that day filming a chase scene. Indiana Jones and his sidekick, they're on a, on a, on a Harley, and right behind them are the bad guys in this big Chevy. And our job as the extras was just to dive out of the way and survive. Now, with each passing take, the vehicles got faster and faster and faster until we achieved a pretty realistic semblance of chaos and danger. Uh, by the last few takes, the motorcycle and the car were ripping through the crowd like maniacs. Now, 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 now wait till you see me in this. This was my big breakthrough, all right? Let's, let's watch this. This is crazy! Somebody's gonna get hurt! Did you see me? Did, did you? There I am! That's me! That's me! Yeah! That's me! And, and, you know, I, I, I don't know if anybody could ever get a, a Best Supporting Actor Oscar for only 0.4 seconds of screen time, but I thought I was amazing. I thought I was amazing. Anyway, that's a true story. That's me. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I went uh, to pick up my paycheck, and there was a second envelope there waiting for me, and on the outside of it was written, Hazard Pay. Yes. I received hazard pay. I was being recognized for my daring commitment to this film, for my willingness to lay it on the line to ensure quality movie making. I got hazard pay. 20 bucks. <laughs> yeah, $20. That, I realized, is what my, my life is worth to Hollywood. <laughs> but you know, my life may not have been worth much to Hollywood. And the problem is that not much is unfortunately what many of us think is our worth to God. We have doubts that he can love us because of the mistakes that we've made. Now, you know, I, we've all seen the billboards or the bumper stickers that say God loves you, but we think, oh, that's for somebody else. That, that can't be for me. My, my sins are, are too big, too many, too often. And that's the response of those of us who may have accepted Christ, but still we're racked with guilt and shame. We're, we're, we're drowning in doubt about our salvation. And I'm sure there are some people here today who can relate to that. It's, it's the married man who struggles with an addiction to porn, and he knows that it's building this thick emotional wall between him and his wife, but he just can't stop doing it. And, and he believes in God, but now he's wondered for a long time whether God still believes in him. It's the 55-year-old woman who has been haunted every day because at 19, she had an abortion. And every day, she's asked for forgiveness, but she really wonders, is God listening? And I'm sure there are many heavy hearts in this room, so many doubts, so much struggle with believing that God would want to forgive you, that he would, he would want to save you. Do you know what it means to be assured of your salvation? Assurance of salvation means freedom from any doubt that you're saved. It's the, it's the sweet, soul-deep relief and peace of mind 
that comes from knowing that someday you're going to enjoy all that heaven has to offer, not because of anything that you've earned, not because of anything that you've done, but because it's already been done for you on the cross. Your doubts can be taken away because your debts have been taken away. The cross is your receipt. It is finished. So, we can try to obtain our salvation through deeds. We may be obstructing our salvation through doubts. But you know what? The cross takes our deeds and our doubts and it says, done. Done. <sighs> Friends, do you truly grasp how amazing that is? Do you comprehend how astonishingly awesome and beautiful those three words are? It is finished. Don't forget, and this is the best part, not only is your debt canceled, but now God treats you as if you have never sinned, as though you had always obeyed. You've always been perfect and sinless. Maybe you've heard Pastor Tim say that when, when God looks at the cross, he sees your sins. But when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. That is amazing grace. And to have the sinlessness of Jesus transferred to you is like, it's like receiving trillions of dollars into your account after the debt has been paid. You don't start again at zero. You receive what the Apostle Paul calls the unfathomable riches of Christ. You receive a royal inheritance, the riches of the kingdom. Everything in heaven that was Jesus's is now yours, paid in full, paid to overflowing. So if you struggle with this issue of assurance of salvation, hear me now. Hear me now. Jesus' last words from the cross were not, earn this. His last words were, it is finished. There is nothing more to be done. Just receive what Christ has done and let him love you. Let, let him place his sinlessness over you and give you peace. You've probably heard this true saying before. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you more and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. His love is unconditional. You don't have to be worthy. You can't be worthy. So get over it. Now understand this, not being worthy doesn't mean that we're worthless. It's actually just the opposite. We read in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners means that we're not worthy of a holy God's rescue mission for us, but Christ died for us means that we are of infinite, unfathomable worth to him. No matter how many animal sacrifices over how many thousands of years, no matter how many bulls or goats were offered up, they could never reconcile us to God. Only Jesus, fully man and fully God, perfect in his obedience and love, could achieve our salvation for us. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 to 12 says, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ, say this with me, once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Never. In the history of the sacrificial system, had a priest ever sat down? They were always standing up and working. On purpose, there was never any furniture for the priest to sit down on in the temple. But now, no other sacrifice 
would ever be needed. So Jesus sat down. Jesus sat down to demonstrate that the job was done. The work was completed. It is finished. Folks, it is finished is a victory shout. Jesus didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. And do you live? Do you live as if Jesus finished that work of salvation? Do you live in the joyful assurance of that fact? Are are you somebody who is known for their joy? What is joy exactly? Joy is not happiness. Happiness is about happenings. It's about your circumstances. It's superficial. Joy is based on something much deeper, much more substantial, much more secure. It is based on the cross of Jesus Christ where it was said, it is finished. All you have to do is accept this receipt into your heart and the debt is paid in full. You can leave your deeds and your doubts behind. And someday, when you stand before God and he says, why should I allow you into heaven? You give him three words. It is finished. That is where joy comes from, people. Heaven is yours. Heaven is mine. Our future is secure. The cross is your receipt. Never let go of it. No one could take it from you. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, declares this about Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, even in the midst of the indescribable pain and suffering, On the cross, Jesus looked ahead to the incredible joy that was coming his way and ours because he knew that that through his obedience to his Father in heaven, his sacrifice would break the power of sin and death and open up the way to the end of all sorrow, grief, pain, suffering, loneliness, and despair. And through parched, bloody lips, there was confident joy in his last words. It is finished. Friends, the pure joy of heaven awaits anyone who will put their faith in the completed work of Christ on the cross. And if you have never taken a hold of what Christ did for you, then we want to invite you up at the close of the service for prayer because God wants to give you assurance of salvation today. He wants you to be able to live now joyfully in that victory, to leave your deeds and your doubts in this room, knowing that it is paid in full once and for all. Jesus sat down so that you and I can stand up and sing with joy. Why? Because it is finished. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.